Hello everyone, welcome to Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning in to today's episode. It is a Thursday, which means we are doing a state episode. We are doing it in the order that they joined the union. We are on the 32nd state. We're racing through these recently because you know we gotta get done by these pretty much at the end of the year. So um, I'm trying to kind of race through them and I've been really enjoying our state episodes. So I hope you feel the same way. Let's get into the great state of Minnesota. So we are going to get into the big historical timeline, but before that, let's just talk about the basic like facts and figures, you know, population, geography, climate, all of that. So we know what Minnesota is kind of like today. So the capital is St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, the state became a state, was admitted into the union on May 11th, 1858. And the, the name Minnesota comes from the Dakota Sioux word Minnesota, but like it's spelled differently, just M-N-I-S-O-T-A, which is the Native American name for the Minnesota River, which means cloudy water or sky-tinted water. So like many of the states, it comes from a Native American term or name. The state motto of Minnesota is Star of the North, and the nicknames, or the the nickname is Land of 10,000 Lakes. It also is known as the North Star State or the Gopher State. All right, the population as of 2020 is about 5.62 million. And let's talk a little bit about the, the geography here. So Minnesota is bordered by Canada in the north, Lake Superior and Wisconsin in the east, Iowa is to the south, and then North and South Dakota are to the west. It says that most of the state's topography was created thousands of years ago by glaciers. These slow-moving masses of ice carved out the Minnesota plains and low hills. They also created many of the state's lakes. Okay, so then it breaks down like kind of each geographical region within Minnesota. So it looks like there's Four. So it says northern Minnesota boasts deep lakes and streams, rocky ridges, thick forests, and the state's high point, Eagle Mountain. This area borders Lake Superior, the world's largest freshwater lake by surface area. Then it says running west from the Canadian border to the edge of South Dakota is a, the Red River Valley, a mostly flat area with fertile soil. The southwestern region of Minnesota is characterized by thick glacial deposits of clay and gravel and then the far southeastern part is the only area they say that wasn't affected by glaciers during the ice age and it has stream cut valleys caverns and high bluffs so lots of actual good variety in um in Minnesota I wasn't exactly sure what I was expecting for Minnesota geography, but I've come to realize that most of the states that I think of as very like uniform actually have a lot of different variety. So it's very rare, I think, that the states just are boring, honestly. Um, and maybe that's just because we haven't gotten into these Western states yet, but who knows? Um, okay, let's talk about the climate a little bit. So the US on average, each state, gets about 38 inches of rain. Minnesota gets a little bit less than that at 29 inches. Um, they get 47 inches of snow. So again, like these Northern states, they get a lot more snow than average. The national average is 28 inches. 
There's 195 sunny days. The U.S. average is 205. The summer high uh, is 81 degrees. The winter low is 2. So as you can tell, like the summer seems pretty pleasant. The winter uh, does not. <laughs> the comfort index overall is a 6.4. And uh, so that means it's slightly less comfortable than average. This is again an unusual thing that we keep seeing with these like more Midwestern states is that actually July, June, and August, which for a lot of states are the least comfortable because it's hot and humid, are actually the most comfortable states. So it's best to visit Minnesota in June, July, or August. It's worst, it's the worst to visit in January or December. The hum humidity gets up to only about 60%. Um, on average in the summer, which is why it's so comfortable in the summer. So it gets to like 81 and about 60% humidity. Okay, so that is all of our fun facts for this. Um, let's get into the historical timeline. Uh, all that geography and climate and I mean all the info that I have found will be linked in the show notes and like the description so go check those out if you have any other questions i found that national geographic kids actually has the best geography synopses of like any website so it, they have been consistently good for every state okay so i'm on e-reference desk for our minnesota state history and this starts in 1659 through 1660 when french fur traders uh, explore the western end of Lake Superior. Then, so those traders were named Grosseur and Radisson. Um, in 1673, French explorers Marquette and Joliet discovered the upper portion of the Mississippi River. We have heard these names quite a few times in like these Midwestern states. Um, so if you listen to, I think it's like Wisconsin and Michigan, I think it's the same group of explorers that was all exploring this region. Um, let's see, 1679, Frenchman Daniel Graysolon, or Graysolon, um, it's Daniel Graysolon Sur de Luth meets with Dakota Indians near uh, Mill Lacs, which I think means a thousand lakes. Can't be sure on that, but um, so this is like a big first kind of meeting with the Indians that were there. In 1683, Catholic missionary father Louis Hennepin returns to France after exploring Minnesota and being held captive by the Dakota to write the first book about Minnesota, Description de la Louisiane. So that was technically about Minnesota, which was um, kind of all in the all-encompassing Louisiana like territory. Okay, then we fast forward like 60 years to 1745. The Ojibwe, Ojibwa, I don't know how to pronounce that, um, Indians defeat the Dakota Indians and drive the Dakota into southern and western Minnesota, as opposed to where they were uh, before, which was more northeast. 1763, Spain receives Louisiana, oh sorry, Spain receives the Louisiana Territory, which included Minnesota west of the Mississippi River. Uh, they got that from France in compensation for its loss of Florida during the Seven Years' War. Great Britain wins claim to what is now Eastern North America, which was east of the Mississippi River and Canada. So, um, yeah, so a lot of territory shifting 
going on there. Uh, from 1770 to 1804, it said Grand Portage, which says it's Minnesota, evolves into the Western fur trading headquarters of the British Empire in North America. British troops are stationed here, and they act only as military force in Minnesota during the American Revolution, or as the only military force uh, during the Revolution. And throughout that whole like 30-year period from 1770 to 1804, fur trading continues to be the main source of commerce in Minnesota all the way up through the early 18th century. The American Revolution happens from 1775 to 1783, and then in 1783, the newly formed Republic of the United States of America wins the eastern portion of Minnesota from the Mississippi River east from Great Britain in the American Revolution. So that's how at least America got part of Minnesota. So the Mississippi River, as you can tell, is quite the dividing line between a lot of land and claiming land like they claim everything east of the Mississippi or everything west. So at this point America has everything east of the Mississippi which includes part of Minnesota. Okay, 1787 Eastern Minnesota officially does is officially designated as part of the North Northwest Territories of the US. And David Thompson, who was working for the Northwest Company, which was a fur trading company, completed the first formal mapping of Minnesota. All right, 1800, France then acquires the Louisiana ter Territory from Spain. And then 1803, the U.S. purchases the Louisiana Territory from France and gained ownership of the western portion of Minnesota. This says also that boundary disputes with British Canada keep the British fur trading companies uh, in Minnesota until 1818. So technically we had bought it, but there was still a very heavy British presence until about 15 years later. All right, 1805, Lieutenant Zebulon Montgomery Pike led the first U.S. expedition through the Minnesota country. Um, he would later attempt to climb Pike's Peak and that will eventually be named after him, which is in Colorado. So just goes to show like how widespread and how far these explorers traveled during some of their expeditions. Okay, 1812 to 1814 was the War of 1812 between the U.S. and Great Britain. Um, there were some Indian allies uh, as well, but that lasted for two years. And then in 1815, there was a peace treaty negotiated between the Dakota Indian Nation and the U.S. government. Also then, at that point, the first American fur traders enter Minnesota. Okay, 1818 is where we get the northern boundary of Minnesota. This was fixed at the 49th parallel. There were boundary negotiations with British Canada that continued all the way up until 1931. So for like another 100 and almost 20 years. Um, so lots of boundary disputes, but technically the northern boundary was fixed at the 49th parallel. 1819, uh, construction began on Fort St. Anthony. That land was purchased from the Dakota Indians for 2,000 U.S. dollars. Uh, Fort Snelling is uh, starting construction also um, on August 24th of that year. 
that was at the confluence of the Mississippi and Minnesota rivers. So we're starting like American construction in Minnesota. Okay. In 1820, the site of where Fort Snelling was got moved. So it says Colonel Joshua Snelling of the 5th U.S. Uh, Infantry arrived and then he changed the site to where Fort Snelling now stands. Uh, Virginian Lawrence Taliaferro becomes the Indian agent at Fort Snelling. Respected by the Indians for never making promises he cannot keep, he worked hard for 20 years to rid the fur trade of whiskey and cheating. At last, in poor health and tired of the government's broken promises, he resigns. So he was a big a figure that kind of made peace between the two groups. 1823, the first steamboat called the Virginia um, reaches Fort Snelling. Needed supplies are missing from the cargo, though the boat does carry the umbrella-wielding Italian Count Giacomo Beltrami. Um, and then a Sunday school is started at Fort Snelling also in 1823. Okay, the first post office post office is established at Fort Snelling in 1827. So as you can tell, Fort Snelling is quite the major hub for pretty much everything. Okay, uh, 1830, Seth Eastman comes to Fort Snelling as a captain. In his spare time, he learns the Dakota language and observes details of their lives. His subtle sketches, watercolors, and paintings become an invaluable record of the scenery and Indian life around the fort. So that's pretty interesting. Um, 1836, the creation of Wisconsin Territory encompasses Minnesota. So again, all these territories kind of shifted, but 1836 was when we had a new thing called the Wisconsin Territory. Minnesota then moved to be a part of the Wisconsin Territory. 1837, land session treaties were negotiated with the Dakota Indians and the Chippewa Indians for the U.S. rights to a portion of the land between the Mississippi and the St. Croix Rivers. Um, this new land was what kind of like picked up the lumber industry in Minnesota and kind of started that industry because it had a lot of forested area from what I understand. Um, and so the lumber industry started once these land session treaties were finally negotiated. Okay, 1841, the Chapel of St. Paul was built. Uh, it says later it would serve to name the state capital, which sprang up around it. So this was like the first thing in what is now St. Paul. Okay, 1848, Wisconsin was admitted into the Union as a state, leaving residents of the area between the Mississippi and the St. Croix Rivers, which is current day Eastern Minnesota, without a territorial government or legal system which is very interesting. Um, 1849, the Minnesota Territory was formed with present-day eastern and southern boundaries set. The population amounts to less than 4,000 people, not including persons of pure Native American heritage. The law also provides for free public school. Um, the Historical Society, Minnesota Historical Society, is formed and then the first newspaper is also starting its publication all in 1849. That publication is called the Minnesota Pioneer. Okay, 1850, treaties concluded 
at the Traverse de Sioux and Mendota with the Dakota Indians, whereby the Dakota ceded their lands east of the Red River, Lake Traverse, or Traverse, and the Big Dakota River, and south of the boundary line between the Dakota and Chippewa in 1825. In return, the Dakota received 1.665 million U.S. dollars, 1.3 of which was set aside into a trust fund of which the interest would be distributed to chiefs partly in cash, partly in supplies, and partly in education. Um, the vast majority ended up being used to pay off Indian debts to white traders. Wheat becomes a major crop in Minnesota. So that seems like a pretty terrible deal. I want to make, I want to definitely learn more about these like deals that were made because that one seems very bad. Okay, 1851, a charter was granted to the University of Minnesota, which was the first collegiate institution in the territory. Um, let's see. 1853, so the period from 1853 to 1857, there was a population explosion that occurred in Minnesota. It went from 40,000 people to 150,000 people. So tons of growth happening. Uh, 1854, St. Paul became a city. It had a total area of four square miles. So it was like a tiny, tiny town. And through this whole like population boom, obviously all these towns are going to grow. And St. Paul uh, eventually became the capital. Um, 1855, the Minnesota German newspaper becomes Minnesota's first non-English newspaper. Uh, and that's the year of its first publication, 1855. 1857, the Dred Scott decision is rendered by the U.S. Supreme Court where a Missouri slave, Dred Scott, sued for his freedom based in part upon his residence in Minnesota. Amidst the sectional and racial uh, animosity sweeping the nation, the court ruled Scott remained a slave. The residents of Minnesota territory ratified the state constitution almost unanimously. The Panic of 1857 sends prices skyrocketing, banks bust, and businesses fall. Depression lingers until 1861. So, lots of, I mean, lots of things happening there in 1857. So, let's break that down. So, a Missouri slave, Dred Scott, sued for his freedom because he was now a resident of Minnesota. Okay. And then this is also the panic that we've heard about multiple times, the Panic of 1857, um, which seems like a very uh, scary time. Okay, I just want to go back to uh, 1848 really quick. The thing where I said Wisconsin was admitted to the Union as a state, which means we didn't, like, the Minnesota area, at least the eastern Minnesota area, did not have any sort of government, territorial government. I don't know if I really, like accepted the, the gravity of that I thought it was saying like that Minnesota became a, a state or something I don't know I think I missed that part so the neighboring like they were in the Wisconsin territory but then Wisconsin became a state but not that area so that's why they were kind of like left without any sort of government I just wanted to clarify that because I feel like that was not <laughs> clarified uh, too well there okay we are now at um, 1858, it says newspaper promotion of the Minnesota Territory prompts over 1,000 steamboat arrivals in St. Paul filled with settlers. On May 11th, Minnesota becomes the 32nd state admitted into the Union. 
of the U.S. The state seal was adopted by the Minnesota legislature. So that is 1858, the year Minnesota was admitted. Uh, the first Minnesota State Fair was held just the next year, and then two years later, the Civil War begins. Minnesota volunteers 1,000 men for service in the Union Army. They eventually provide 24,000 men for service in the Union Army for fighting uh, in the Civil War or the Indian outbreak. Okay, 1862, the Dakota conflict sweeps across Minnesota with a series of attacks motivated by hungry Dakota, enraged by the failure of land treaties and unfair fiscal practices of local traders. By the end of the conflict, 486 white settlers would be dead. On December 26th, 38 Indians were hung at Mankato. Minnesota's first railroad is also completed this same year, uh, which connected Minneapolis to St. Paul. So a lot of dark things happening with like the Indian conflicts and then at the same time there's like all this development of like transportation and the steamboats and the railroads and things like that. Um, the Battle of Gettysburg happened in 1863. The first Minnesota regiment takes a heroic makes a heroic charge. It lost 215 of its 262 men and then the war ends in 1865. Okay, Mankato receives a city charter. If you are familiar with um, Little House on the Prairie, you're probably familiar with Mankato. This is where Pa goes in a lot of the show. Like, if he has to go to the big city, he's going to Mankato. Um, so, let's see. A three-day blizzard hits Minnesota in January, killing 70 Minnesotans, which is bad. And you, again, not to bring everything back to Little House on the Prairie, but there are those episodes where there is like a huge blizzard and it seemed kind of common in Minnesota for these blizzards, but not like this big three-day one that, that killed 70 people. Okay, by 1878, almost 70% of tilled land in Minnesota was devoted to wheat production. Um, this was a high point for wheat farmers in Minnesota. The farmers eventually decided to diversify because there were five consecutive summers of devastating infestations of Rocky Mountain locusts. Uh, that was called, like those five years were called the grasshopper plague. They thrived on wheat and so farmers decided to diversify and wheat production was replaced by other crops and a lot of dairy farming. Um, okay, 1881, the, or sorry, 1880, the first telephone communication began between St. Paul and Minneapolis, but then in 1881, St. Paul is destroyed by fire. 1883, um, the Mayo Clinic is founded, which is like, I believe, just a nonprofit clinic. Um, it's renowned for its dedication to the latest advances in medicine and surgical procedures procedures. So Dr. William Worrell Mayo in Rochester, Minnesota founded the Mayo Clinic. Um, let's see. 1887, St. Paul hosts the first ski tournament in the Midwest. There's another major blizzard in western Minnesota um, on January 12th, which takes 109 lives in 1888. And the more I re read these timelines, the more I just realize I would hate to have lived back in these times because there are just so many things that could kill you. And like, I feel like when blizzards happen now, we are so much better prepared for uh, like handling it 
or preparing for it or both. And that just sucks. 109 lives. Um, electric streetcars are becoming commonplace in large Minnesota cities by the 1890s. There's a massive forest fire caused by clear-cut logging debris, um, which, you know, over 400 people died in this forest fire. And again, like, we have so much technology to, like, warn people, get people evacuated, stuff like that. So when you hear of a forest fire, it's like, usually unless people just didn't want to leave their house or it's just happening so quickly nearby people can get out but at this point like you couldn't really warn people that quickly so 400 people died in that 1898 the spanish-american war begins uh, minnesota was the first state to volunteer it raised four regiments one of which served um, in the philippines disease was the biggest killer uh, with combat fatal fatalities accounting for only four minnesota soldier deaths Okay, the lumber industry reaches its peak in 1899. By 1930, only a third of the state would remain forested. Um, so the logging industry kind of didn't seem sustainable. If only like a third of the state remains forested. Um, so it, it definitely slowed down there. 1900, there was another huge fire where Virginia, Minnesota is, is destroyed. Let's see. Approximately 12 automobiles appear in Minneapolis by 1902. Tom Shevlin, the son of a lumber mag magnate, gets arrested for violating the 10 mile per hour city speed limit. 10 miles an hour. Can you imagine? I guess that's faster than a horse can go, maybe? Like, 10. When I go 10 miles an hour, I feel like I'm literally crawling. Um, but that... That used to be the speed limit. All right, 1906, William Williams is hanged in the county jail in St. Paul on February 13th, which ended capital punishment in Minnesota. Another forest fire destroyed Chisholm, Minnesota. And then by 1914, World War I begins. Minneapolis also becomes the home of the Federal Reserve Bank in 1914. 1917, uh, the U.S. enters World War I, and 118,000 men from Minnesota serve in the war. Uh, 1,400 of those died by the end of the war, um, and then the war ends in 1918. 1919, Minnesota ratifies the 19th Amendment, which is women's suffrage. Then there's another tornado. I'm probably not going to go over every single fire or tornado, but... Um, there's always like these big numbers, like the tornado killed 59. Okay. The first radio station was formed at the University of Minnesota in 1921. 1927, Charles Lindbergh, a native of Little Falls, Minnesota, flies, fl flies solo across the Atlantic Ocean from New York to Paris. Charles Lindbergh was a big staple in all of our aerospace classes. Um, amazing, amazing trip. And that happened in 1927. I actually didn't realize he was a Minnesotan, so very, very cool. 1929 is when the Great Depression began in the U.S. The Depression begins in Minnesota with the bankruptcy of key employers in Minneapolis and quickly spreads to the rest of the state. Very interesting that it, they kind of like know where it began. I kind of just like thought 
oh, the Great Depression hits everyone all at once. No, the first people that felt it were in Minnesota because of all the hub in Minneapolis. Okay. Let's see. Edward, okay, 1934, this is kind of interesting. Edward G. Bremer of St. Paul kidnapped by the Barker Carpus Gang. His ransom of 200,000 U.S. dollars is one of the largest ransoms in the U.S. up to that time. By 1936, the kidnappers had been caught and convicted. Public enemy number one, John Dillinger, has a gun battle with FBI agents in St. Paul on March 11th, and he escapes. So, crazy crime story there. Okay, 1936. This kind of tells you how really cold and uncomfortable parts of uh, Minnesota are. Temperatures remain below zero for a record 36 days beginning on January 18th. Later in the summer, Moorhead, Minnesota ties a state record high official temperature of 114 degrees, previously set uh, in 1927. So it basically went from, um, you know, 36 consecutive days of sub-zero to that summer going to 114. So pretty crazy. That was in 1936. Okay, a lot happened in 1941. So first, there was a tax on something called taconite or taxonite, uh, which is a black magnetic iron-bearing ore, went into effect in Minnesota. And then the U.S. also entered World War II that year, and Bob Dylan was born in Duluth. His real name was Bob Zimmerman. So that all happened in 1941. 1944, uh, the Democratic and Farmer Labor Parties emerge to form the Democratic Democratic Farmer Labor Party. <laughs> That's all like hyphenated. Uh, 1945, World War II ends. 6,200 American servicemen from Minnesota gave their lives for the country. Uh, the first TV station in Minnesota, KSTP, goes on the air in 1948. The Korean War begins in 1950. Um, by the armistice in 1953, 688 Minnesotans had died in the fighting of the Korean War. Um, that ore tax, the like iron ore tax, was important because as of 1951, over 82% of the iron ore extracted from the U.S. Um, from the U.S. mines during that year originated in Minnesota. Uh, Prince was born in Minneapolis in 1958. His real name was Prince Rogers Nelson. The St. Lawrence Seaway opens in 1959. The last iron ore shipment leaves the Vermilion Iron Range in 1963. Uh, Minnesota Senator Hubert Humphrey was elected VP of the U.S. as the running mate of President Lyndon Johnson. And then the ground forces are introduced to Vietnam also in 1964. All right, a St. Paul native, Warren Berger, is named to the Supreme Court of the U.S. in 1969. Minnesotan Harry Blackman uh, was named to the Supreme Court of the U.S. in 1970. He would later write the majority opinion in the case of Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion, so I don't like him. <laughs> um, 
1975, the last American military personnel leave Vietnam with the evacuation of the U.S. Embassy in Saigon, completely ending American involvement in Vietnam and the Vietnam War. Over a thousand Minnesotans died during the course of the war. Uh, Jimmy Carter became the 39th president of the U.S. with Minnesota Senator Walter Mondale as his VP. Um, he, that VP Mondale would later run as president, sorry, later run for president in 1984, but he lost to Ronald Reagan. Okay. There's a lot of snow always and a lot of like iron ore shipments are like the last one of that range. So, um, the last one of those was in 1984. The last iron ore shipment leaves the Misabi um, iron range, effectively ending Minnesota's direct iron ore industry and confirming a difficult depression for, on the iron range. Uh, the Minnesota Twins win the World Series in 18, sorry, 1987. Uh, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act was passed in 1988. It was passed to promote tribal economies which caused a boom in Indian casinos and gambling in Minnesota. By 1990, Minnesota ranked fourth in the nation per capita ga uh, in gambling sales. Okay, um, President Mikhail Gorbachev visits Minnesota. He's the Soviet president in 1990. Operation Desert Storm happened in 1991. 11,000 Minnesotans in uniform helped to defeat Iraq and liberate Kuwait. Um... Okay, now this is a little bit confusing because, like, they said that there was, like, this depression of iron ore, but then um, in 2004, Minnesota, Minnesota actually produced 75% of the country's usable iron ore. So I guess there was a little bit of a, of another boom. Um, there's not much else. Republican National Convention was held in St. Paul. Northwest Airlines merged with Delta in 2008. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much the Minnesota state history timeline. Um, let's get into the fun, like, little things. Let's talk about famous people that are from uh, Minnesota. These include F. Scott Fitzgerald, Judy Garland, Bob Dylan, Jessica Biel, Vince Vaughn, John Madden, Winona Ryder, and Lindsey Vaughn. There are definitely more, but those are kind of the big ones. Okay, state symbols, which is always a, a good time. Let's talk about the Minnesota state symbols. They have quite a few. Um, you know, as we mentioned, some states have a ton. Some states don't have many at all. Minnesota has some good ones. So, the state bird is the common loon. It was adopted in 1961. It can travel up to 60 miles an hour and can travel great distances underwater. Um... Let's see. I want to see why it's important too. Loons are loners and prefer Minnesota's isolated lakes, leading some to label their distinctive call as the loneliest voice on earth. Okay, the state flower is the pink and white ladies slipper. In 1922, the legislature passed a law making it illegal to pick the rare flower that is typically found in swamps, bogs, and damp woods of Minnesota. They have a state mushroom called the Morcella esulenta. It's more commonly known as the moral sponge mushroom or honeycomb moral, and that became Minnesota's state mushroom in 1984. 
The state gemstone is the Lake Superior Ag Agate. Um, that was adopted until uh, that was adopted in 1969. They're very common um, along the north and south shores of Lake Superior. The state fish is the walleye. Every year in Minnesota, more than one million anglers take to the water on one of the state's 1,700 walleye lakes in pursuit of the elusive walleye. Um, they have a state photograph, which uh, it was shot by Bovey, shot in Bovey, Minnesota by Eric Enstrom in 1918. It is called Grace, and it features an elderly man sitting pensively with his head bowed and hands folded. He is leaning over a table, and on the table is a pair of spectacles resting atop a thick book, a bowl of gruel, a loaf of bread, and a knife. Enstrom shot the photograph in black and white, but as Grace became more popular, um, his daughter began hand-painting the prints in oil. So, that is their state photograph. The state muffin is the blueberry muffin. Um, it came from a class of third graders in South Terrace Elementary School in Carleton, Minnesota, and it was designated in 1988. They, uh, <laughs> in this class, they asked themselves, if Minnesota were to have state food, what would it be? The answer they gave was the blueberry muffin. They reasoned that wild blueberries are plentiful and popular in northern Minnesota, and farmers from across the state grow wheat. So, pretty smart third graders, I would say. Um, the state grain you would think would be wheat, but it's actually wild rice, which has been a staple for the American Indians of northern Minnesota for centuries, it says. That was adopted in 1977. The state uh, milk, or sorry, the state drink is milk. That was designated in 1984. Uh, there are lots of dairy cows um, in Minnesota. There's more dairy cows than lakes in the state. So there's about two, sorry, 465,000 milk cows um, as of 2018. So like most states, their state drink is milk. They also chose the monarch butterfly in Minnesota um, in 2000. That was a group of fourth graders and they were kind of like learning about a, various butterflies and learning about the process, the lawmaking process. So they proposed um, a state butterfly. The state fruit is the Honeycrisp apple. Again, this was like a group of fourth graders. Um, let's see, it says the group and their teacher uh, testified and sat in on House and Senate committee hearings on the bill throughout the process, and they were present in the House gallery when the bill passed. Okay, the state sport is hockey. Lots of Minnesotans and just people in the Northwest in general play hockey a lot, so this is not really a surprise. The rusty patched bumblebee is the state bee. Um, the, let's see, the state tree is... Sometimes these state symbols are like actually just hidden in this paragraph of, like a huge paragraph about the, the symbol. So I can't even get the name. So in 1953, Minnesota adopted the Norway pine as the state tree. And then we have the state song, which is Hail Minnesota, which has been the state song since 1945. So those are the state symbols. And then the last thing 
that we are going to be talking about today is the attractions, what to do if you are in Michigan, or sorry, I almost said Michigan, in Minnesota. So this is from TripAdvisor and I pulled a few from there. So number one is Minna, Minnehaha Park. Interesting name, but it's Minneapolis's oldest park and it is 193 acres with a lot of scenic trails and limestone bluffs, it says. There's also a 53 foot waterfall that it looks very, very pretty. There's the Minnesota North Shore Scenic Drive. Um, it also has the oldest working light station in Minnesota that dates back to 1892. There is Kata, Kata, or no, sorry, I was thinking the uh, or Tedagoosh State Park. Uh, there's a 70 foot waterfall um, that's there. The Minneapolis Institute of Art is really good. The Minnesota, yeah, Minnesota State Fair. Mall of America is also in Minnesota. They have a great science museum, the Quarry Hill Nature Center, so a lot of nature stuff. Um, the Minneapolis Sculpture Garden is also very highly rated. Uh, it has like a ton of sculptures and it's very kind of ingrained in nature as well. There's the famous Cathedral of St. Paul and then Target Field is like their main baseball field. So plenty of things to do in Minnesota if you go. I would recommend going during the summer is all. <laughs> so um, that is all for today's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. And uh, if you are a Minnesotan or I missed anything from Minnesota, uh, let me know and we can do a little follow-up. So thank you all for listening and I will see you next week with another episode. Bye everyone.